welcome to another episode of the Compass Equip podcast. We are your hosts, Hayden and Evan. What's up? At Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. We're and twinning. And twinning. Well, I guess we're not really. I mean, our pants are different. It's the shirt. It out. is the same shirt. Uh, well, we're in a series again. We're back. We're back. And Summer on the Mount this week entitled Righteous Generosity, uh, particularly through the framework of uh, motivations and having the right heart in the things that we do. Uh, and we learned from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Pastor Evan, would you read that text for us? It would be my pleasure. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your father who sees it in secret will reward you. Well, Pastor Hayden, what was your main point from this message this morning? The sermon focus was that your generosity should never be motivated by human recognition, but by your commitment to God who sees your generosity and rewards you as his child. And that focus was expressed in three points. Number one, check your motives from verse one. Number two, from verse two, don't settle for less. And then point number three for verses three and four is give to glorify God. And we'll we'll uh, we'll go in depth with those points in, in a moment. But as we uh, we do that, we also have some questions. From, we got questions from our congregation. We about, love questions. We do. We love it when you guys scan that QR code on your note sheet that says "Ask a question." More questions, the better. Ask a question that you have about this sermon, and we'll do our best to answer it. And here we are having questions that you guys have submitted, which we love, and we're going to do our best to answer them. That's Pastor right. Evan, you want to read some of them? Absolutely. Well, first question comes from an anonymous person, like they always are, because it's always anonymous. It's just a church member. Yeah. Um, and so it's just an email that we get. Um, it says, as Christians, should we uh, still praise others, other good, other, other people's good deeds, or are we doing them a disservice? That's a good question. It's a good question. Uh, I, here, here's a great way to think about this. What does the Bible say? Right? What does the Bible say when it comes to thinking about others and praising them? Uh, and the Bible actually talks a lot about it, that we should praise people when they are being faithful. Where in the Bible do we have that? Well, let's look up some. We need the keyboard sound to be edited into there you this go. podcast. I mean, I think a lot of the one another's tell us uh, tell us to uh, honor one another, encouraging one another. I mean, First Thessalonians five eleven says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. I mean, uh, I mean, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, like he- in Hebrews ten twenty four through twenty five. Uh, I mean, there, there are so many of these. Uh, I'm looking at some more. I mean, all of these are going to find some of their expressions in you actually uh, encouraging and complimenting and honoring someone for some of the things that they are doing. Now, so we should praise people, give honor to where honor is due. Now, 
And what verse is that in Hebrews? What is, what is that? Which one is that? What verse is that one? Let me look it up. And, and so, as he's looking that up, I mean, there is a place and, and, a, and a, a prominent place in Christian community to praise others' good works and good deeds. I mean, you should. And and the opposite of that is what I hear oftentimes is, you know, people will say things like, I'm not going to say anything, or they'll get a big head. It's like, listen, your job is not to ensure other people don't get big heads. Your job is to encourage and praise other Christians. Well, to build up as fits the occasion. As a, as a matter of fact, the way that you speak ought to be building people up, and that includes praising other people. God is going to keep people humble, Right. And so, as Romans thirteen seven in the second half of it, to whom respect is owed, honor to whom is honor is owed. So that's yeah. what we need to give. That it talks about taxes at first, mm-hmm. then talks about revenue, and then talks about respect and honor. Yeah, and so you ought to praise people. I mean, as a matter, I mean that that is such a good thing to do and a, and a good spiritual discipline to praise other people. Not only that, it takes the focus off of you because what I have noticed is selfish people and prideful people will not praise other people. Humble people. Praise other people. And so when you don't praise people, often it says more about you than it does them. And so it's important that you would praise people for their good dudes. And you're not doing them a disservice. Now, I guess if you're trying to exalt them to a place you ought not to, then that's then, then it would be a disservice to you as much as it is to them. But what you ought not to do is say, I'm not going to encourage them because I don't want to I don't want to make them stumble. It's like that's that would be an unhelpful and unkind thought to have. Like you ought to, as a Christian brother and sister, praise other people for what they're doing if they are being faithful to the Lord. That is such a good, godly thing. And I think scripture attests to that fact in our in our Christian walk. All right. And then the second question is what would it look like to have quote, nice, quote, things to advance the kingdom of God and glorify him? Oh, this is a this is a good question, and particularly in context of my... Uh, so what do you mean by nice things? I think we want to make sure we, for the audience they understand what they're saying. Yeah, I, and that's what I'm saying. In the context of... I, in the 11 o'clock service, I was talking about, you know, it's possible to allow your good things to be for the Lord and that you had nice things and that you, you having things is not the problem. It's why do you have the things that is actually the right question. And so, for instance, in the Bible, you know, if we ask that question, what would it look like to have nice things to advance the kingdom of God and glorify him? I think Lydia in Acts and in the New Testament is just a really great example that Lydia was a dealer of fine purple goods, which in that context probably meant that she was a very wealthy woman. And so... Where where is it at? Where is it at in Acts sixteen? Let me look at Acts sixteen. Just kind of show you the way that that would work. Let's see. Yeah, it's Acts sixteen or eleven through fifteen. All right, the conversion of Lydia, and so uh, let's see. Verse let's fifteen. See. After Verse, she was baptized in her household well, as well. Where, where are they at though? The Thyatira. Thi- yeah. There it is. Oh, here it is. It's Lydia from the city of Thyatira a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul after she was baptized, her and her household as well. She urged us saying, if you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. It, it's actually it's, it's actually clarified in scripture that she had a house meeting in her, or sorry, a church meeting in her house. Well, let me tell you something. She's going to have to have a good size house. 
for people to be meeting in her house. And we know that she was a wealthy woman because of what her job description was. Purple. And so she, being a wealthy woman, used her wealth for the advancement of the gospel. And we can we see that so often in Scripture. She's not the only example, but she's a really good example, is to say, you know, I think even Kayla and I, we chose the layout of our home. Like, literally, the floor plan of our home was based upon this. How many people can I get in one space? That was the, that you know, and so it's like thinking, like, okay, the reason I have these things is to advance the kingdom, is to create an environment for people to know God and to grow in relationship with one another and to glorify him. It is a great thing to have nice things. God is not against people having nice things. Uh, he is against those who would have nice things for their, to advance their own uh, pride, to advance their own lives apart from primarily giving him the glory for those things. And so Lydia is just a great example of like, hey, what's, what's, what's mine is actually God's, and I'm going to use it for him. Uh, and just like Lydia had a church meeting in her home, uh, we're going to say all the nice things I have, all the big things, all the nice things, all the wonderful things I have, even my money, is going to be used to advance the kingdom of God and glorify him. And there's a lot of principles, verses that say, to whom much is given, given much is required. Uh, he uh, who has who he who takes care of little will be given much, and, and he who doesn't do well with little, even what he has, will be taken away from him. I mean, these are parables that even Jesus is talking about in the Gospels, and so it is an important and paramount and pivotal thing that as you have nice things and as you have means that you would use them to advance the kingdom of God. I mean, that is just the. I mean, even James says this, right? For the wealthy among you, be generous, right? Give. I mean, it is such a good thing to have much and give much. It is such a bad thing to have much and give little. Amen. All right, well, uh, Compass, we have a few questions that we've written ourselves, um, have written up. That made no sense. But we wrote up some questions based on the points. Point number one, check your motives. Uh, A question you may ask is, why does God care so much about the motive if it's just doing a good thing? If someone is clearly homeless and giving them a home, why is it a bad thing? Why Why does God care about my motives? Why does God care about our motives? That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> God cares about our motives because our motives say everything about why we're doing and what we're doing. Uh, it, it's God. I mean, even First Samuel 16 says, the Lord doesn't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I mean, even as we talked about in First Corinthians 4 or 5, that He's God is going to bring to light things hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. I mean, those things are so important to God, not just what you're doing, but why you are doing it. As a matter of fact, the Word of God, as Hebrews 4.12 says, is, is designed in its function to dig so deep into your life, to pierce into your soul and, and divide all these things, even discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I mean, to even think about the way that God cares so much about motives that the Word of God is designed to get and split all the way down to the thoughts and intentions of your heart. So the quote-unquote just doing good that benefits you, uh, to God, sees he sees the intentions, and they matter to him. Intentions have everything to do. Now, people always say, well, I had good intentions. It just didn't work out. Well, we're not, I'm not talking about, well, I had good intentions, but it didn't happen. Well, well, the good news is if you did have good intentions and something bad happened, even though the world may misunderstand you, the good news is God still looks at intentions, and so they are important. Uh, now, I, you've always heard the term hell is paved 
with good intentions, right? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. So good intentions aren't in and of themselves the goodness that God is looking for. He's actually looking for obedience. And so I intended to be obedient today, but then my life got really busy. That's not at all the context of all of this. But it is saying God cares so much about not just what you do, but why you do it. And uh, for us, it's it's recognizing that truth in Scripture that I've hopefully showed you enough of uh, in the Scriptures that we have just gone over to say you should check your motives uh, because God has a, con- a commendation waiting for those who with pure and right motives are worshiping and glorifying Him. Uh, and for those who have impure motives have received their reward in full because what they've really done is tried to exalt their own selves instead of God. I think in the end, God knows that his way is harmonious and he wants us to enjoy harmony with him, but we got to do it his way. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, well, how does, I don't know, how do I know that God, that is the right way? I mean, I know God says it, but what about my life? It's like, can you stop thinking you're the exception? And this is something that I, I tell myself and that I think every Christian should do. You are not the exception to God's word. Like everyone spends so much time. Well, what about me? Well, well, my situation's different. It's like you are not the exception to God's word, and if you would understand that you're not the exception, and that God's principles apply to you directly, you're going to go a long way in making sure that you have the right motives. Because when you say you're the exception, you're going to look at everything in the Bible and say, "Well, not me. That's not what I." It's like, listen, have the right heart motives and say, "God, what does your word tell me?" Because then it starts piercing your motives and your the intentions of your heart, and that's the job of Scripture. All right, well, let's shift gears to point number two, do, do not settle for less. So a couple of questions, one based on a, a statement that you made, at least in the 9 a.m., talking about, like, hey, how do we, we counsel someone who says our, our budget is just too tight to be generous? How can we help Someone think through I mean, that. It, it really just depends on, on the people in that situation. I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe you have lived in a way or, or done something in such a such way that your budget is too tight to be generous right now. I have counseled people to say, hey, in this season, you should not be giving much. Uh, but oftentimes, that's probably because mistakes were made, and I've been spending a lot of my time in life not thinking about how to be generous with myself, and I've got myself in a couple of budgetary problems. And oftentimes your budgetary problems come because we have spent, uh, we have exceeded our ability and capacity financially, and so our budgets come too tight because of improper use of my own funds or improper priorities in my life. And so that just takes counseling to work and, and help you get to a place where you're, we're saying you are now prioritizing the Lord with your life and your finances and your family. The second thing we're going to say, like you got to be careful what we're saying. Is too tight here. Is my budget too tight, or my expe- or, or my view on God's expectation for for my money? Like maybe your understanding of God's command to be generous is too small in your mind, or, or you think that it means something different than it really does. I mean, God wants you to be generous with what you have. I think the widow's mite is a good example of this, and the the widow gives these two copper coins, which is all she had. And the, the Pharisees and, and, and the scribes, they gave out of the abundance of what they had. Uh, the, the concept there that Jesus is saying is like the widow gave everything. The others, the wealthy, the Pharisees and scribes that he's talking about, gave out of their abundance, which means really who gave more in, in their heart, the intention, the widow. And so for, for most of us, even if we don't make a lot of money, I, I know very few people who make an endless amount of money where they don't really have to think about what they're doing with it. But the question is, are you doing the right thing with it? Are you doing 
are you doing the thing of greater glory instead of the thing of lesser glory? I mean, have you checked your motives of why you're spending your money the way you are? And if you have $10, would you not be willing to give $1 to God? Because if somebody is not willing to give $1 to God when they only make 10 bucks, they're not going to be able to give $10,000 to God when they make 100000 which is another principle of parents for your kiddos. It's like, don't wait for your kiddos to become adults or teens to teach them how to give and to teach them how to be generous. Teach them now. Well, they only, they only, got, they only got 10 bucks. They only got 20 bucks yesterday. Teach them how to, t- how to talk about money and think that money is not yours. Money is God's that has been stewarded to you. So what are you going to do with this? This money is not for you. This money is for God. And it does provide for you, but it is also for the advancement of the kingdom and the glory of God. And so help them take that dollar or two dollars out of the 20 bucks or even more than that, perhaps, particularly for kids who don't need much because you provide everything for them and teach them what it means to give abundantly to God and to be generous and help them do it even discreetly. They don't have to make a big deal out of it. Just teach them what a good steward is and and what they do with what God has given them. All right, and the second question that kind of addresses the point more clearly and directly, point number two, again, don't settle for less. How can we help someone walk through that God is greater than man's praise? I mean, I just tell you to look at the Bible. I mean, we look at the Bible and we spend so much, the Bible spends so much of its content talking about not receiving man's praise. Don't live to receive man's praise. And yet it talks so much about saying we ought to be looking forward to the praise of God, to God's desire for for us. And I'm going to walk you through to say, you are going to settle for less if you're focusing on other people, if you're focusing on other things, if you're making this about man and receiving attention. If you're an attention getter, if you're a spotlight hog, you have received your reward in full. But for those who want to put the spotlight on God where it should be, and those who want to draw attention to God through their life, you're going to be a person who receives the commendation of God uh, as you stand before him. Because at the end of the day, it is your job to, in this world, in, in both in community and personally, personally as a uh, member of the priesthood of God as a Christian, and corporately as a stone that's building up, uh, as First Peter says, a house for God's temple, that people would look at this corporate body, the temple, and they would look at you as a priest, and they would give glory to God. The temple was not meant to bring glory upon itself. It was meant to point to the glory of God. And the job of the priesthood that we see in the Old Testament that's repeated in First Peter is that the, the, the priests are supposed, they are, they are just, they are part of uh, the system that glorifies God through their life. And so for you, it's the same picture for the New Testament and the church. Uh, we are a member of the priesthood. We don't do sacrifices, but we give sacrifices that are pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. And that is part of our generosity, the motives in which we do the things that we do. All right. Well, point number three is to give glory to God. Give to glorify God. Yeah, I did it again. You did. I you just got to read it. Just read what it to says. Give to glorify. There's a lot of G's there. Read it's what it says, not what you think it says. Well, I think it says is give to glorify God. That's what it says. All right. Well, to give to glorify God, how can we focus on God being our only audience, despite our desire that that's in there to gain praise from others? Well, you are going to have a desire to 
and, and one way to say it uh, is to cater to a larger audience. You are. I mean, that is the human nature. And even after the sin nature has been taken care of in Christ, you're still going to have a battle with the flesh to please others and to try to receive uh, commendation from man and to appeal to uh, the people around you. Uh, and, but the problem with that, and, and you could ask, well, what's so bad about that if I'm trying to please other people and try to build a reputation? The problem isn't the the problem isn't necessarily the the end of being good for other people. It's the means in which you're doing it, which actually does get you one degree off of the end matter. And that's this. If you want to be for the good of other people, you need to have an audience of one. Because, again, like I've said over and over again in both sermons and even the Life Group Leader podcast, is an audience of one, which is God, right? The audience of one is I am here for God, and I'm here to perform and do my job and duty for God. I'm also going to be for the good of other people. The way I love my wife, the way I live in community with my brothers in Christ, the way I raise my son, etc. The way I go to work, the way I submit to my authorities and my bosses, and everything else is going to be for the good of all those involved. And so I am going to be to the benefit of others, but the means in which I do that is by saying I have one, I have an audience of one, and the ends of that is going to be I am for the good of others primarily and ultimately because I'm first looking at God as the only audience and I'm glorifying him, which is going to be for the good, the genuine good of other people, versus Everyone is my audience. I'm here to perform for everybody and to be all things, all people. Not like Paul trying to be all things so he might win some. He's trying to be all things, all people that he would give glory to God versus being all things, all people to receive glory from people. I mean, they're completely different things. Although if you don't, if you don't have your mind sharpened by discernment, you're going to confuse those two things. And your mind should be sharpened to be able to discern good and evil, as Paul says for us to do in Scripture. This is exactly the same situation. You have an audience of one. His name is God, the Holy One, exalted above the heavens, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. And you ha- he's your audience. And as he's your audience, everything you're doing, you're asking, does this glorify him? And if it glorifies him, you can bet your bottom dollar on it that's going to be good for God's people. And it's even going to be good for people who aren't God's people because they could see the glory of God through what you're doing. And it is going to be for their good. But you're not going to say, I'm going to go do all things, and I'm gonna, I want to seek my own glory through trying to Focus on all of the people around me, and you're going to miss your entire existence, which is to give glory to God, and he is the object of worship. Wonderful. All right, one one more question. You know, when we do that, we might make some enemies of some people. I, I liked what you said in the 9 a.m. service, where you might have some falling out with people. Um, people may not like you. and so how, Did I say that? I don't remember yeah, saying that. You, you I did. said it. You said it. I wrote it down at least. So right. I th- I, maybe I heard, maybe you heard thought it. it. That's what I thought. And okay. I wanted to hear it now. Okay. Um, how can I be okay with people not being happy with me when I decide to follow God, especially people who I really love? Well, you know that you're not here to please man, but you're here to please God. Just like we talked about in the sermon when we looked at the scripture in John twelve forty three that you know, the problem with the people that Jesus was talking about was they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. When I love the glory that comes from God more than the glory that comes from man, Jesus tells me what's going to happen, that my family, if I choose God and they don't, will turn on me. Jesus even says that I did not come to bring peace but a sword, and I will turn mother and, and daughter and father and son and brother and sister and household against one another. And really, that's just a strong 
there's a strong description to say it's pe- some people, particularly people who reject God, are not going to be happy when you decide to follow God. That is a true reality that people, everyone has had to face from one to one from one extent to another. Uh, but like I said in the last podcast, the other podcast we did prior to this was. If you find that everyone around you is not happy that you follow God, I'm saying you need to find yourself a new group of people. Because I'm going to tell you what, if you come to Compass Bible Church and you're plugged in here, you're going to find a whole lot of people being happy because you've decided to follow God. You're going to find a whole lot of people happy because you're taking steps in faith honoring God. And so if you are looking around as far as the eye can see and what you think is nobody is happy that I'm following God, I'm saying that you need to find yourself a new club, a new group of people. You need to find yourself people who love that you're following God. Now, I get it that you're, I mean, I have family, you have family that aren't happy about our relationship with God. And that's just going to, that's going to be part of it. And you're going to be okay with it because God said this was surely going to follow those who follow Christ. And that is a part of the Christian faith. All right. Well, Compass, if you have any more questions, please uh, reach out to us or reach out to your life group leader. We'd love to be able to help you in your journey to follow Christ. All right, Pastor Hayden, we have like 10,000 announcements. No, we Uh, only got about six. I can get through them pretty quick, though. All right, let's time you. All right. Go. We have our revival uh, just happened. The highlights of that are basically people got saved. That is the only highlight we need to know about. And people got discipled, and God was glorified, which is exactly Mm -hmm. why we do it. Men's breakfast, Saturday, August the 12th. It's always the second Saturday of every month from 9 a.m. to 11. Remind you men to be a part of that. Our summer kids' camps are wrapping up with science camp, uh, and the registrations close literally Sunday at midnight, which is like right now. So maybe even by the time you hear this podcast, the registrations may be closed. If you don't have someone signed up and you want them to be signed up, you email can me. email evan at compasshillcountry.org. Love the chat. We have our back-to-school bash coming up August 20th after the 11 a.m. service. We want to encourage you guys to be going all in for this outreach season at our church that we want to see as many people as we can at Back to School Bash, not because we want to see the auditorium full, but we do, but we want to see it full for the glory of God and for the good. souls saved. We want to see them saved, and we want to see the advancement of God's kingdom. So invite people. Take time out of your schedule to hand out flyers, even on your own time. Have your kids help you do that. And also, come to the churchwide outreach on August the 5th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., where our church will corporately go out and do that same thing, invite people to come hear the gospel at Back to School Bash. We just had a baptism service last week. We have another baptism coming up in just a few weeks, in four weeks to be exact, August the 27th. That baptism registration is almost full. We have about one or two spots left. So sign up for that one if you can sign up quick. If you can't, we have another baptism service coming up October the 15th, and registration is still open for the October 15th registration. So sign up, compasshillcountry.org slash baptisms to sign up for baptisms. You've either been saved recently or you haven't been baptized since you've been saved. We want to encourage you to go ahead and walk in faithfulness now. Be faithful to God who says, go be baptized after you're saved. And finally, we have our Adventure Club starting back up on August the 23rd. I'm ready. And registrations are open. They're open. So you need to go online to compasshillcountry.org slash kids, and you can find out more about Adventure Club. Sign up for Adventure Club. Get your kiddos ready. We're ready. And you can sign up online, or you can talk to Pastor Evan. We can talk to, uh, talk to me, and the reason why we need you to register is because we need to buy your child's booklet and pins, and potentially a satchel it's if a you don't have equipment. one. So we want to make sure that day one, 
they're not bummed out because like, oh, I didn't, I don't have enough books. And so I want to make sure your child has a book, pins, and satchels ready for them this Adventure Club season. All right, church. So grateful for you guys. We look forward to seeing you guys at Life Group and this weekend at Compass.